0: Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Still, there are times I am bewildered by each mile I have traveled, each meal I have eaten, each person I have known, each room in which I have slept. As ordinary as it all appears, there are times when it is beyond my imagination. Jumpa Lahiri, Interpreter of Maladies. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by frequent from the front porch guest, Hunter McClendon, though you might know him as Shelf by Shelf on Instagram. If you're a regular listener, you probably know that one of our main goals is to grow the show to 10,000 listeners. We are getting so close. You're probably sick of me saying this, but I really mean it. We are so close. And a lot of that is thanks to everyone who has left a review. Here's one of my recent favorites from I Love Music, period. Absolutely adore. I have come to completely love and wait with bated breath for new episodes of this show. I adore Annie B. Jones, her thoughtful reviews and helpful recommendations about books, her great camaraderie with occasional guest hunter, the amazing Patreon content they provide. I just love it. Thank you so much. If you haven't left a review, all you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write Us Review and then tell us what you think. And speaking of Patreon, if you love hearing from Hunter, you can hear us discuss Charles Dickens' Bleak House in our Conquer a Classic episodes. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch to begin listening for just $5 a month. Now back to the show. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Wasn't that review so nice?
1: It was really, listen, if you want to make my day say good things about me, I love hearing good things about myself and and people I care about, obviously.
0: I picked that review because it specifically mentioned you, and there are quite a few that specifically mention you. Isn't that delightful?
1: You know what can I say? Just star quality no i it's so <laughs> funny <laughs> i you know i like I have always felt deeply honored to have any time on this show because I love being able to talk about books with you. so
0: It really is one of my favorite things. Okay, so this year we rebranded our beloved Backlist Book Club series. And now these quarterly episodes are called Bookmarked with Annie and Hunter. And today we are talking about the Pulitzer winning novel Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri. We wanted listeners to be able to engage with these episodes without feeling like they had to do homework first. And we hope these episodes are accessible whether you've read the book already or are inspired to read after listening to our conversation. I really do love these because they're like mini book club.
1: They are. Well, it's so funny, too. You know, I, it's, I think all the time about whenever you and I first kind of became friends, I would come to you and we you'd be like, oh, I just read this book. You have to read it. And then we would sit at the table at the bookshelf and just sit there and discuss these little books for about 10, 15 minutes and then go on about our days. Yeah. And this really does kind of like keep that feeling. You yeah, know?
0: it totally does. We did Tinkers mm-hmm. back in April. I remember because the episode number is 420. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it landed in April. So we did Tinkers. We've been doing Pulitzer winners. We did Pulitzer winners last year as part of Backlist Book Club. Mm -hmm. And look, we're also reading Bleak House. So we're trying to be mindful of each other's reading time, which I really appreciate. So we've tried to pick specifically shorter Pulitzer winners. And next, I don't know if you remember that we already figured this out, but I believe in early November, we're going to do Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. Mm -hmm. I'm
1: very excited for that.
0: I am too. So if you are a listener who really does prefer to read these ahead of listening to the recording, you can go ahead and get a head start. The next selection will be Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. Okay. That being said, had you read Interpreter of Maladies before?
1: Yes, I actually read it the first time Back in twenty eighteen. It's so funny because I, I I don't know if I told you about this, but there's a a nonfiction book called Emperor of All Maladies. Okay. It's a book about cancer. And I had heard about interpreter of maladies and was like, Oh, that sounds like such a good you know, and so I went and I I thought, okay, so I and I couldn't remember exactly what the title was. And I was like, It's a book, maladies, maladies. Pulitzer and the person was like, "Oh, this is what it is." And they handed me Emperor of All Maladies. And so, oh wow. I, yeah, and so I read a book about cancer. Very interesting actually. I highly recommend it.
0: You always are so good at reading outside of genre, <laughs> even accidentally.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like had no, I, and it was so fascinating too. But yeah, but and then I and then after I read it, I told everyone I was like, you guys said it was a short story collection, but it's like just it's not. <laughs> and, and then everyone's like, what are you talking? And I was describing, I was like, it's all this cancer, and they're like, there's not like what? <laughs> and so yeah, so then, but yeah, I, I read this back in 2018, and I uh, I've read I think almost every book by her at this point oh wow she's become one of my favorites for sure
0: so she has a new book i think that's part of the reason we chose this is because mm-hmm. she has a new book called roman stories coming out in october which little fun fact so this is a new to me book obviously i've heard of it we carry it at the bookshelf pretty much on regular rotation we have stocked all of her other books but for whatever reason i have never read her i associate her with the Mindy project because Mindy Kaling named her character Mindy Lahiri because Mm -hmm. of Jhumpa Lahiri. And so I was familiar with her only in a pop cultural sense. And when I think of you, I think of short stories. Because I think you're somebody I just, I don't know. I think in our early years of friendship, you read a lot of short stories and you helped me. I mean, I loved the genre because this is this sounds like a high school girl thing to say. No shade to high school girls. I I was one and I loved being one. But I think I first fell in love with short stories because of Franny and Zoe and because of JD Salinger and what is that famous short story called? A Good Day for Banana Fish or whatever. Uh-huh. It's it's like it's I fell in love with it and felt very literary when I was a senior in high school. And so I've I've enjoyed short stories. Moving into like Flannery O'Connor and then in my early tenure at the bookshelf, Catherine Heine and reading Single carefree, and Mellow or Jennifer Close. But I associate that with something you read. And I think that's partly because you always, in my mind, had such highbrow tastes. You you came into the bookshelf and always <laughs> talked about the most literary things. But also I think it's because in our friendship, in our first few years of friendship, you and I both read Fortune Smiles. Yes. And that short story collection just sticks out to me and and is in my mind a part of our friendship origin story yeah i don't know if it if that holds true for you too
1: oh it does because it's so funny because that book won the national book award back in 2015 Mm -hmm. which was the same year that the turner house by angela florney was shortlisted as well as a little life by hanya yanagihara and fates and furies by lauren grob
0: oh my gosh what a year
1: yeah so think about the fact that Fortune Smiles, which is actually very underread and i I actually do think that it uh I wish more people had read it. I think a lot of people were were kind of disappointed that it won over i
0: yeah, they were frustrated and probably took it out on that book a little bit
1: yeah and like and Jimmy bear, you know, you look at which books have kind of stood the test of time yes. a little bit longer and and it makes <laughs> sense but but i yes, I ended up loving Fortune Smiles, and I think that uh the way that he he writes characters that are so hard to engage with, and yet you still find huh. a way
0: in. I think part of the reason I'll never forget that collection is because one of the stories is about a pedophile.
1: Yeah, Deep Meadows, I think it's called. It's the rose, the Rosebush thing.
0: It's very startling. Mm-hmm. It was very startling to read. So recently, just speaking of short stories, and it was so fun to kind of accidentally do this, but I just finished a book that's going to come out in October called This is Salvaged. I think I told you about it. Yes, mm-hmm. And That author reminded me a little bit of Adam Johnson. That's who wrote Fortune Smiles, right? Yes.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Anyway, her name is Valhini Farah, and she is a student. I believe she took some classes, maybe, or a workshop or something with Adam Johnson. She she names him in the acknowledgments. But she is also a writer who talks about or writes about the Indian-American experience. She herself, I believe, maybe was born in Canada, Mm -hmm. and... Anyway, she there's a beautiful story in that collection that I think was inspired by her own sister's story. And so okay. I just fell in love with it. And then it wound up being quite serendipitous, I think, that this reading experience shortly followed that one. So if you're listening to this and you've already read Interpreter of Maladies and you're looking for a read-alike although i think mm-hmm. short stories are sometimes hard to find read-alikes where mm-hmm. every story is so different but i think this is salvaged might might scratch the itch and i think hunter you would really like that when it comes out i think in october
1: i'm very excited for it i do also have to say i you know it's so funny because i think people get kind of weary of short story collections uh, or just short stories in general mm-hmm. you know because the thing is it's right is that like we 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 understand the way that a novel functions
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's just m- much more like inherently so it, 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 we just we get it
0: we know how that narrative arc works right yeah
1: but you know i think some like a lot of people describe a short story almost as like just like a, a polaroid it's just like mm-hmm. a one quick moment in time and and i think that i think there's a lot of short story writers who do a lot more than just create like one particular moment i think they can create a really expansive world but i do have to say if you if you're somebody who is wary of short stories, I actually started reading short stories more because I did not under I read a short story collection by Tom Perata called Nine Inches, and I did not understand. I was like, "What they these stories are starting and they end? What's what's the <laughs> point?" And I was desperate to I was desperate to understand how they worked, and so I just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading until eventually it clicked. And now I love them. And so I think sometimes it just takes patience in finding the right short story writers for you.
0: Because they are all so different. I think that's the other thing. Not all short stories are created equal. Mm -hmm. Not all short story writers are doing the same thing. And it has become a genre that I really do enjoy, especially when it's done well. And I think I said this in a recent episode of From the Front Porch, that I think considering our Modern crisis that we keep reading about about shortened attention spans and and where has our focus gone? I actually think short stories are a great antidote to that. Like I think they're a great response and a great solution to if you feel a little bit all over the place. Anybody can sit down and take fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, and read a short story. Yes, and then put the book down and 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 move on or pick up another story later. I So I think if you're hesitant, I would actually encourage you to give it a try. And you don't have to finish a whole collection if you don't want to. Just read a couple of stories here and there. Right. Okay. So I have to ask, mm-hmm. this was my first Jhumpa Lahiri. I I, I loved it. I, lo- <laughs> I loved it so much. I texted you. We try not to, and we've barely talked about this book yeah. off air um, <laughs> because we try to save the content for the podcast, but I did text you yesterday after I finished A Temporary Matter, which is the story that she opens with. Mm -hmm. And I was so moved and I thought, oh dear, like, (laughs) oh no, is this going to set the tone? And I'm here to tell you, it does set the tone. And it became, I have some other stories that are my favorites and including, and I hope we'll talk about this one at length, but including the closing story. But there is something about A Temporary Matter And I always think about writers and how they and their editors choose what story is going to open a collection Yeah, and how they're going to kind of grab you and maybe set the theme for the collection or whatever. And I just, oh my gosh, it was absolutely, it's gut-wrenching. It's a gut-wrenching story.
1: It is. I it's so funny. You know, I like I said, I read this collection the first time back in twenty eighteen. And if you think that I come across as sometimes emotionally unstable now, you should have seen me back in twenty eighteen. Because <laughs> I remember reading the opening story at Tempero Matter and it's about this it's about this married couple who I believe that you I believe you know it early on, like at the beginning that they have lost a child. Yes, but basically they they're kind of like avoiding talking Mm -hmm. about this issue, and um, but then like the light the power starts to go out at night.
0: Yeah, like they get this notice right from their electric company that's like the hey for the next five days your power is going to go out at eight p.m. (laughs) and and isn't this okay? I think anybody who has either a attended a slumber party or b sat in a car on a road trip, there is something about being in a confined space with someone mm-hmm. or being in the dark with someone yes. that allows you to say things you couldn't say. And so that's mm-hmm. the premise of the story, which I thought was brilliant. So yeah. this couple who's grieving the loss of this child, we know this immediately, mm-hmm. they now have to sit alone together in the dark eating dinner and they'd been, you know, grieving in their separate spaces or, or eating dinner in their separate spots in the house. And it is a brilliant I mean, I just think it's such a brilliant storytelling device.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is, so without giving anything away about it, like, I, I think it, it could, you could break this down on a technical level and it could be like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense because you have this, this storytelling device of like, you're putting these people in a situation. One person has one very clear idea of what they think about where they're <laughs> at in the world and where their marriage is at. And you have another person who thinks something entirely different. And they Mm -hmm. just aren't communicating about it, which, you know, but there's something about the, how she breathes life into this story and, and takes it, it it really transcends being just like a technically good story into being a true moment of, of real people living a complicated life. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Did you cry or tear up at all?
0: I teared up at the end. I teared up at the end. I may have even teared up at the beginning when I realized that they had lost a child. Mm -hmm. And the fact, part of the reason, I think anybody's marriage would hit a crisis point after something like that, after a loss that that deep. But in particular, their marriage hits a crisis point because he was away from them on business, away from Mm -hmm. home on business when she went into labor. And his deep guilt over that and the fact that they just can cannot connect after that loss is just so deeply moving. And then I think one of the things I loved about it was I felt like I was sitting in the dark at the table with them. Like, have we talked, I feel like maybe I'm getting deja vu. I feel like you and I've talked about this before, but this idea of like an a writer kind of whispering, and you have to lean in to hear what yes. they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this couple was whispering and like telling each other secrets. And I, as the reader, had to like lean in so that I yeah. could hear better. And the whole thing <laughs> is just—I think what I am always amazed at in a short story is you describe them, or, or they've been described as polaroids or snapshots. And I think that's for sure true. This is the, this is a snapshot at a marriage in a particular moment in time, but it also feels like. An entire life, like it, it feels like an entire encapsulation of a relationship. Even though it's just one glimmer, you kind of know their whole story in just one, in just a few pages. It's nuts.
1: That is something that I think is so, like I I always tell people, like the best short stories truly fit a novel's worth of information in Mm -hmm. less than twenty pages,
0: which I just think authors don't get enough credit for, to be honest.
1: I mean, some of these sentences, the way that how much, they're just so full. It's like, it's all just yeah. so full. And it's like, how did you do that? Also, did you have this, this story actually reminded me, did you ever see Rabbit Hole with Nicole Kidman?
0: No, I didn't. I know what okay. you're talking about, but I did not I, see
1: it. I loved that movie. I like the play. I own the play. Um, I will reenact the play to my dog and she does not like it, but it's fine. <laughs> but it's about a couple who lose a child. And there is a scene where the character... Nicole Kidman plays, uh, she's talking to her, her. So her mother has also lost a child, and they're kind of talking about this feeling and if it ever goes away. Mm. And I think that it's so funny because I think rereading this, and I had just actually re- recently rewatched that movie, and it's one of those things where seeing, like having a visual representation, <laughs> Nicole Kidman's crying face. <laughs> Yeah. As like, as you know, as like my little like, in the back of my mind, like while reading the story, I was like, well, I know what that pain looks like, apparently, because I've seen Nicole (laughs) Kim and portray it. And so I was like, doubly like overwhelmed emotionally from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would you consider so a temporary matters how she opens the collection? Would you consider it one of your favorite stories after the whole collection is finished?
1: Oh, yes. Not only would I consider it one of my favorite stories of the collection, I also think that story is just one of my favorites because it's. It, it's it's funny cuz it wasn't it wasn't my top when i finished the collection it was it was in my top 3 i think but uh, when i first finished it i knew i liked it but i didn't know if i loved it but it's the one that i've remembered the most over time
0: that's the thing and this is what i come back to all the time when people ask you know how do you star rate a book right the, because those can feel so subjective and but for me a five star read often boils down to what is memorable. Like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to remember? What am I going to recount to Jordan later? What is going to stick with me? And this story, I really do think, I really do think that when it's all said and done, there will be two stories that I remember, I hesitate to say forever, but I feel like I'll remember them forever. One is a temporary matter. And then the other is the closing story, the third and final continent, which I was just... I finished it and that is also, I did cry at the end and I thought, I can't wait to talk to Hunter about how Jhumpa Lahiri stuck the landing, like, <laughs> because, yeah. because we care so much about how authors close out, whether it's a collection or a novel, we, we care how they finish. And I thought that story was so well told and so well ended. And I think that story is another one of my favorites and maybe my favorite of the whole collection and will also stick with me for a very long time. Mhm-, I didn't know this when I was reading it, obviously, but after I finished, I did some you know very light research preparing for this episode, and I saw that that story uh, which is about an Indian man who moves to America to work as a librarian at MIT and he stays in like this boarding house with this hundred and three year old woman and it's just gosh, I really don't want to say more than that' I just think it's a really really again, interestingly told story. But then when I was doing some research, I saw that she, Jhumpa Lahiri, wrote that story inspired by her father, her librarian father, which I thought was lovely.
1: As a side note about her, I don't know if you know this, but she taught herself Italian.
0: Uh, yeah. No, I do know this because her Roman stories is going to be a lot of, I think all of the stories are set in or around Rome. Uh-huh.
1: But
0: is that not the most, she wrote an Italian novel.
1: Yes, and then translated it from Italian (laughs) to English. Yeah, because she, I guess she was like bored and was like, "I need something else to challenge me."
0: Truly stunning information. Like she, she's a she must be a genius.
1: Well, she is a MacArthur genius, actually. So
0: okay, (laughs) okay, so literally a genius.
1: Yeah, uh, let me tell you. When I heard, like, it's I don't know if you ever feel like this, but sometimes I, I think to myself. Oh that genius did that. Yes, me also a genius should do that too <laughs> and then I attempt and cry cuz I cannot. Yes,
0: well look, I think any creative person I think you have to think. You have to be a little hmm, I hate to use the word arrogant but kind of. Like you have to be a little bit in a love with your own talent mm-hmm. to think to yourself oh yeah, I could do that. And then you sit down to try to do it and you're like, oh crap, but I cannot. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh dear, I am not the genius I thought I was.
1: <laughs> that is literally 90% of my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so there were two other stories that I that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. One, I'm not sure if I'll remember it when it's all said and done, but this blessed house or this blessed house where the husband and wife move into this home and they don't know each other super well they they meet and have gotten married within 4 months time and they're cleaning up the house and everywhere they look they find christian iconography yes <laughs> And the wife, and they're Hindu, and the wife becomes obsessed. She's like, Oh my gosh, this stuff is so great, so kitschy, it's so fun. And she and she also finds real beauty in it. She right. she finds like this poster, I think, or this painting of Christ, and she hangs it in her office. And her husband is distraught because they're gonna have this housewarming party. And he's like, We're not Christians though. We're Hindu. And she's like, Oh, it doesn't matter. It's so fun. And then I mean the I think the climactic scene in that particular story felt to me like when they're digging through their yard and cleaning up, (sighs) which this is, this is what I think is so interesting is Jumpa Lahiri does what we all have done. Like we all know what it's like to move into a house and Mm -hmm. to clean and to clean up the yard but she adds this really, I think, quite humorous element where they're doing yard work and they find a giant statue of the Virgin Mary and Mm -hmm. the wife is thrilled. She's like, she has real Anne Shirley energy and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Her, Her name is Twinkle. She's like, I can't wait to put this in our yard. And her husband keeps like plotting, how can I destroy this stuff? And then of course, all the friends and coworkers and acquaintances come over to the party, to the housewarming and they really do, like they're happy for the the husband they commend him for the work he's been doing but they really fall in love with twinkle and with her obsession with this christian art and it becomes like this fun party gimmick that they all kind of try to find more christian art hidden in the walls of this home i just i don't know why of the stories and maybe it's because so many of the stories really have an underlying tone of grief and mm-hmm. and heaviness but this one felt really fun and maybe that's my imagination but i had a great time
1: no i think that's the thing too you know it's so funny because i do think that she deals with some heavier topics sometimes but there's like there is a sweetness and there is a there is a joy to a lot to a lot of these to these people in different times throughout the stories
0: my other favorite and this will lead into another topic but but my other favorite i think and i do think i will remember this one is called mrs sends Mm -hmm. and it's about a young man who's mother needs to find him a sitter. And he's 11 years old, just needs a place to go after school. And Mrs. Sen is a professor's wife. And she like, you know, has an advertisement in the paper or something. And and so this young boy goes to stay with her every day after school. And Mrs. Sen has just immigrated from India and she cannot drive. And she loves fish. And I, I loved a lot about this story there are a couple of stories including the third and final continent but there are a couple of stories that deal with these intergenerational intergener- relationships mm-hmm. and friendships and i I find that fascinating I think it goes back to my childhood I had really close relationships with my grandparents i know you do too yeah and I also think if you grew up attending any kind of religious whether it's church or temple or whatever that is a multi-generational place there aren't a ton of places now that are but but I think religious organizations still very much are and so Anyway, they have this really interesting kind of intergenerational friendship. Although Mrs. Sen is much younger than I first pictured her, I think she's like 30 years old or something. But what I absolutely loved about that story is the food writing, which I was not anticipating. There's some food writing in A Temporary Matter and maybe Mm -hmm. even some of the other stories. But Mrs. Sen spends her afternoons like chopping and prepping in the kitchen. And the young boy who eats, you know, pizza with his mom every night can't get over that Mrs. Sin does this just for her and her husband and yeah. how much time and effort she puts into cooking. And I've read some really wonderful novels by Nigerian authors and the way they write about food and dinner time and mm-hmm. meals and and meal prep and how much love and compassion goes into to meal prep. I, I do wonder if Americans don't, especially white Americans, we don't really grasp that as well. Like, it, I don't <laughs> think it's a cultural touchstone for us. Like, yeah. we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna run to McDonald's or whatever.
1: Like, like yeah. I do
0: wonder if there's something where other cultures really know how to do this better. And the way that Junpa Lahiri writes about food in this story in particular was really striking to me.
1: It's so funny. She writes a lot about food actually in her other, especially, I, I think it might be, I think she might write about, food more in her short story collection unaccustomed earth i think is the one i'm thinking of mm-hmm. um but i just remember i just specifically re- it's so funny you said that because i specifically remember reading one of the first stories and being like oh like there's like a lot of stuff about food in here which i do i think that's very it's such a because it is such an absence i think for us culturally mm-hmm. but like it is much more apparent and actually it's so funny you say that because uh brian washington he he wrote memorial back in 2020 he has a new book Paleo meal coming up oh, this wait, year wait. and he he writes about food a lot too and it's so funny him and the woman who wrote the wedding date
0: jasmine Killery,
1: yes they had an interview back in 2020, and they were both cooking, I think, like, while they were- Oh, fun. And they were talking about how, like, food was such an important part of, like, their lives, and so, of course, it would, like, be an important part of their writing.
0: Yes. Well, and I think uh, Black Americans have a way different experience uh, and a way different food experience than we do, and so I love reading about it, and I particularly love, I think it plays such a big role in immigrant culture because it ties you back to where you're from. and. Yes. And I think that's one of the things I really loved about this story collection is Jumpalahiri is an Indian American writer. She, I think she was, oh, I think she was, she born in London, but she always calls herself an American, she calls herself an American writer. And all of these stories deal with Indian people, whether they are still living in India or whether they have immigrated. Uh, Many of the stories take place in New England, particularly Boston. Um, There may be one or two, one story that takes place in London. I can't remember. But anyway, I think there's a different kind of collection where this would have felt like just a lot of different stories of the immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. But I think, I was just reading, I don't know if you follow, do you follow a woman? She's a writer. Her name's Marcy Walker. And she her Instagram handle is like black coffee with white friends.
1: uh-huh.
0: And she just did an Instagram post that I really appreciated. But she, I'm going to read part of the caption because I thought of it while I was reading this book because, she said, let me tell you, she's a, she's a black author. And she said, let me tell you, and I've said it so many times, it's not enough to read all the history books and all the, how to be a better ally books. You have to thirst for our stories as much as you do for your own. Our stories need to be on your best of lists as much as your own stories. The complex and beautiful diaspora of stories about our lives should go viral just as often as the trauma network of stories about our deaths. And when I was reading this, I thought, I think that's what I love is all of these characters. Yes, they have to do with what it's like. I mean, Mrs. Sin is such a memorable character to me because she is living in this tiny apartment. Her husband is a teacher, a professor, and she Mm -hmm. clearly misses home. She waits for all these, for these letters from home and she misses her sister and she longs for her grandfather. But there are other stories where it's a married couple dealing with, you know, grief or intimacy or whatever and so you get these beautiful stories about race and homeland and identity but you also get these stories about love and grief and I, the stories really run the gamut which I, I i don't know i found that really really beautiful and i think the food writing plays a part in that particularly in Mrs. Sin's character as for her cooking is an act of returning home
1: yeah I will. I wanted to say, it's so funny, like, talking about story organization, I enjoyed when Mr. Uh, Perzada came to Dine.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, which follows the, it's the second story after A Temporary Matter, second story in the collection that follows directly after A Temporary Matter. And I liked it, but I do wonder if the, like, how strong A Temporary Matter is, if it, like, maybe casts a little bit of a shadow
0: Well, and immediately, now I will say that story, upon reading it, it it doesn't make my list of favorites. But I do appreciate how Jhumpa Lahiri is subtly, this is my Enneagram 5 coming out, but she's subtly teaching us things. And so I don't know anything about, and this is just being very transparent. I don't know anything about Indian history or Mm -hmm. the history of Pakistan or the conflict between countries. Like I don't, we didn't learn that in school and in fact she alludes to that there's a character i think in that story who is a child of immigrant indian immigrant parents but she she's like no we really just learned about the american revolution over and over again <laughs> and yeah. i thought well if that isn't the american educational experience but but anyway and so one thing i did appreciate about that story was i thought oh this is a subtly teaching me a white reader about a history I didn't even know existed between yeah. Pakistan and India or between the uh, Hindu culture and the Muslim cultures and things that I just didn't know about. So I appreciated that. But I also did not find that story quite as impactful as the first story. It is.
1: Yeah, it's funny because the first time I read the collection, it didn't stand out to me as much. I did give it more attention on this second read because I were, I already knew that I loved A Temporary right. for the first time. And that's something I actually, this is one of the reasons why I do love to reread books is because sometimes, especially if it's like a short story collection, then sometimes Mm -hmm. a story you overlooked, like sometimes things just click differently for you. And it was so funny though because I was reading that story and, you know, it it deals a lot with with loneliness in a lot of ways. But there's this thing about candy at the end that like broke my heart. And I was like, I was like, you're going to wound me (laughs) two stories in a row.
0: It's really a loss of innocence, uh, I think, in those closing pages. Uh, That was one other. That was one thing I wanted to talk about. You talk about loneliness. That feels like another theme, because I marked it as one of my. Like I tried to mark like which stories were my favorite, but then ultimately I was like, well, I don't know if I'll remember that one as well. But the treatment of Bibi Haldar was one where I thought, oh my gosh, like she's twenty nine years old and she. Has these? I I do. I did love this opening sentence. For the greater number of her twenty nine years, Bibi Haldar suffered from an ailment that baffled family, friends, priests, palmists, spinsters, gym therapists, prophets, and fools. And so, anyway, she no one can figure out kind of what ails her, and she lives in. I'm assuming this kind of apartment building, and she lives with her aunt and uncle. And over mm-hmm. time. They lose interest in caring for her and how the apartment building and the people who live there, which I believe is almost this Greek chorus of voices. Like, I think it's a collective, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a collective we where they talk about her a little bit. Anyway, I feel like I hope I'm not making that up. But in that story... It really, your heart kind of goes out to BB, who is not a perfect character. Right. Um, You know, she's not some kind of saint or anything. She's just a human being who desperately wants to be married. I I also found it, again, weirdly humorous because the suspicion of some of the doctors is that what will save BB, what will cure BB, is for her to get married and to have sex. Like, Uh (laughs) like that's that's the implication is that's what's going to help BB feel better. And then the story, as as so many good short stories, do that story kind of twists into something else at the very end. Mm-hmm. But what is at its heart, I think, is a story of loneliness and who comes to your rescue in a time yeah. of loneliness. Who is your family? Which I think is another thing that that this blessed house mentions, where he like looks around the owner of that house, like looks around the room and he's like, I've never seen so many people like so dressed up, except for our wedding. But what's different is at our wedding, all of those people had to be there. Yeah, and these people are just my friend. And it w- it was a really like brief scene or brief sentence, but really striking. I thought this this theme of who who are your people.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, what did you think about the story? Sexy.
0: Okay. Well, I did mark the <laughs> line. I'll never forget where a child says the word he called okay it made me deeply uncomfortable because it's like uh-huh. a child in a room with an adult he's telling her to put on this dress that she bought for her lover that she's having an affair with and she puts it on for him which never will i ever what a that's a weird move uh, uh, but anyway <laughs> but anyway she puts it on for this i assume this kind of preteen character mm-hmm. and then he looks at her and says you're sexy and the only other time she's been called sexy is by her lover but then I will never forget this line. I marked it because I was like, this is so good. So she asks him, what do you think that means? What does sexy mean? Like it kind of stops her in her tracks. And He whispers to her, it means loving someone you don't know. And I was, oh, it was so good because his, his father is having yes. his own affair. And so this child has heard the word sexy to apply to his father and his father's affair. So it's loving someone you don't know. I thought that was so... I don't know why that stuck with me so much, but I thought it was so good.
1: No, that is actually it's so funny because I I think that's the reason why I ended up being like, oh, this story. Like I was like, here's the thing. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you know we talk well, about. Well, like, you love uh, messy
0: Miranda. I'm sure you love oh, messy.
1: It, do you know what? It, it's so funny that to me felt like you know we ha- we had like the sad girl novels that are out now, like uh, Melissa Broder yeah. and Jen Began and Otis Otessa Otis- and that new Emma Klein book and stuff. And I and I think that that is one of the early signs that we're getting of really the newer complicated women who are, who are really just like, who are like quote unquote, like unlikable at times. Cause you're like, Oh, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. That's not appropriate. I love that. Like, you're right. I like, like anytime that I ever ask myself, why are you doing that? I I immediately am like, Oh, I must love this character.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and what I'll also say about that story is I think in the hands of a different writer, they would have taken it a more obvious direction. So the story opens with Miranda listening to her coworker in the cubicle next to her talking about her, oh, who was it? Some family member's husband who's having an affair. And Miranda the whole time knows she herself is having an affair. But I think in a different kind of collection or in the hands of a different writer, we would have gotten this like surprise twist that Miranda was having an affair with the with the co-worker's
2: uh-huh.
0: friend or family member's husband or whatever, but it never went that direction and instead became an exploration of Miranda's guilt mm-hmm. and her trying to figure out how long does she keep this affair going? And, and is this man the love of her life or does she need to move beyond it? And I I really appreciated that it could have gone one way and instead went in a pretty, I think, self-reflective way
1: so we, we we've been reading a lot. it's so funny what, what What was the book where you understood? We read a book, was it last year maybe where someone had well someone had an affair and you said, "Okay, I guess I get it." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wait, I'm trying to think what it would have been. I don't know
1: I don't know, but all I have to say is I do feel like I have had some influence on you because. I it's so funny I always like I always make this joke and then I feel like I really do have to clarify that I am joking but like you know I do have obsessions with affairs (laughs) one of my life's goals is to have an affair I I, I, it's so funny I made that joke during reader retreat and during a live show (laughs) during a live show
0: and then and then I I said something about it and people were appalled
1: yeah like you laughed and you like like volleyed back and the crowd was silent
0: yes completely silent it was i thought oh dear people do not know that this is a running joke
1: they had been cackling for 20 minutes straight and it was dead (laughs) air and i thought oh my and then i had to point to my loving husband and say he's here he's in on the joke no but um anyway (laughs) it's just funny though because i do wonder i wonder if i have finally in some way like corrupted you enough to let you be like well maybe for this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what I I think what I really appreciated about Miranda's character is you see cuz help me, I assume I'm right about this. Miranda is white uh, is what I, so, yeah. I gather from the story. Okay, so Miranda is a white character. She's she's dating Dev who is an Indian character and she is clearly I can't decide. She's not is she in love with Dev or is she in love with Indian culture? She is completely mesmerized and obsessed (laughs) with Indian culture Uh because I think her coworker is Indian and now her lover is. And so I think she is such a, mm, she's such a messy, messy lady. Like she goes in, uh, she goes into like a video store because, and then (laughs) God, there's a scene where she goes into an Indian restaurant alone because her lover only will meet her Uh on Sundays. Uh And so she spends the rest of the week like pining for him. And she goes out to an Indian restaurant and it broke my heart because she's trying to teach herself Indian phrases like delicious at this Indian (laughs) restaurant from the menu. And I just thought, oh, Miranda, you you don't have to live this way.
1: Could you imagine this being like an episode of Sex in the City?
0: yes every time i say miranda that's what i think
1: <laughs> i know yeah i was thinking i was like gosh that'd be a good, uh, good episode uh, like especially like i haven't even seen the new anyway i won't get on there but <laughs>
0: <laughs> are there any other themes or stories or anything else kind of that stuck out about i'm trying to see if there's any lines i particularly liked or anything
1: i do i just you know i really do think that talking about the idea of like of her able her ability to fit entire worlds into like these little stories i think that's such a that's i think that's the reason why her work cuz this is still a popular collection this is still a collection of people read and come back yes. to and i truly think it is because like i said you know like like s- short stories don't always work for people but i do think that there is a sense of i don't want to say closure necessarily but i do think there's a sense of you don't feel you don't feel like you're like holding your breath like waiting for something to happen doesn't happen i feel like you no. you do get that release with each story
0: yeah i would agree with that one thing that we talk about in all of these episodes because what we've been reading is is pulitzer winners so this was the pulitzer winner in 2000 it was published mm-hmm. in 1999 how does this compare are you familiar with what other books this was also i saw this was only at that time, like the seventh short story collection Mm -hmm. to ever win or something. And I think, wait, did you say, did Fortune Smiles win the Pulitzer or the
1: the National Book Award?
0: So I don't know if any have won since Interpreter of Maladies. I should have looked that up before we got on here. But how do you think this compares or why do you think this was the winner that year? I
1: think more than just the idea of whether it be a short story collection or a novel, I think that what really stood out to people was that this was... A very new vision of the American experience mm. to what 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 else was being seen in the landscape of literature at the time, and some of that's due to opportunity. Like like that's like a clear you know that's not to say that there weren't people who were having the experiences or trying to write about these experiences before this, but uh, but I think that Jubilee Harry coming you know having this collection out,
0: which was her debut by the way, yeah, which which. <laughs> infuriating
1: <laughs> like i'm like okay you you know that's cool i'm not I in my been, by the way
0: if that had like if i put out a collection like this as my first as my debut i think would have been like okay done
1: yeah oh <laughs> okay, yeah
0: okay. never that's, have to publish again
1: <laughs> that's why she's learning italian <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah she already she already won the pulitzer right out of the gate
1: and she was uh her book the lowland was uh the lowland the lowlands it was a national book award finalist
0: she's incredibly consistent.
1: Yeah, her last book was uh, whatever, whenever, wherever, whatever to be together. It's a book that it has one of those wherever type titles. Yes,
0: uh, yeah. And then, did you read the namesake?
1: Yeah, that's okay. good.
0: What is your favorite of hers?
1: It's between this one and and the Lowland. That one I just thought was it's so funny. That one I feel like reminds me in some ways of. There's another book that was the National Book Award finalist in twenty something about the dis, dissociation of a bomb or something like that. Uh I'll have to look it up later and tell you, but but uh okay. uh that, that one's a really good I just thought that I don't know, there's something it's about these two brothers and it takes very surprising turns, I think. And that's the thing too. The way that she's able to it's so funny because she's she's twist she's Taking you on these journeys with these stories that are so unexpected, but it never feels cheap or like she's just trying to do a little a gotcha in the story. Like it's so organic.
0: Yes. Like I think that's what I think that's what I was trying to kind of allude to. Like there are a couple of stories in particular that take turns that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. But it never felt gimmicky. Right. Or I really did feel like I was in the hands of a master. And I <laughs> I went on Goodreads to you know, I mark quotes, favorite quotes in my um, Mm own, but I sometimes will go to Goodreads so that I can can copy and paste and not have to type them. Anyway, but I went to Goodreads and man, somebody, some reviewer on there, like gave this three stars or something and ranked some of the stories two and a half stars. And I thought, I just don't know what collection you read. (laughs) I just don't know.
1: Do you know, it's so interesting. So she was a really big fan of, I think his name is Bernard Malamud. I cannot remember how to pronounce his last name, but he's uh, he was a National Book Award winner uh, in the late '50s. He was he was a finalist multiple times. Brilliant Jewish American writer. One of my like he was he was really big around the same time as Saul Bellow and hmm. uh, Philip Roth. And he's not really read as much now, but he had a short story collection that won called "The Magic Barrel." And it's so interesting because I think she even wrote the foreword for that for the. Uh, reissue but it's funny because sometimes people have criticized her for having certain inf- certain like more european influences which is very similar to the criticisms mm. that were that were uh given to ralph ellison who wrote invisible man in mm. 52 53 and it's just, i always think that's so interesting when this idea that like it's because right, right uh, brandon taylor even right now we're seeing mm. we're seeing criticisms of of authors of color who we've always seen it where like where there's people who either say that they're like, they're like, they it's funny when you see the criticisms, cause you either see people praising it and being like, Oh, it transcends
2: mm-hmm.
1: race, which is its own problem. But then you also see people who are like, it's not taking enough influences from whatever. But I truly just think that she was somebody who deeply loved literature and the literature that she was reading was people like Bernard, uh, Malamud. And mm. I think that you can see that influence, especially in her short stories. -hmm. And I think it's really exciting, but yeah. But I, but I think she's even. I think she's even more adventurous in her novels in some ways. Um, And I think she. And that's the thing. I don't think she's always quite as successful in what she's doing in her novels, Mm -hmm. but it's only because she's taking really big risks narratively. And that I'd rather you take a big swing and. Yeah, you know I I would too.
0: Try something. Yeah, I'll. I will be. I definitely think I'm going to read Roman stories now. Mm -hmm. The release coming out here in October, but I may re- revisit or, or I guess visit for the first time. I may go back and, and read some of her backlist novels and things like that, because I really just love her writing. I was so, I was so blown away by it. We, we didn't even talk about the title story, but, uh, but even the title story, which again, I'm not sure, you know, five years down the road, that's the one that will stick out to me, but it's amazing how tender her characters are and how mm-hmm. very much I cared for them in such I, I'm always blown away when it's so few pages and you can and yet you still deeply care for the people that that these authors are writing about so yeah
1: I also I believe it's so funny because I'm now that I'm thinking about it I believe that uh so there was the other two books that were that were list or that were finalists that year were close range by Annie Proulx mm. she's she also she won the Pulitzer for the shipping news Back in yeah. 1993. I love her writing, but Close Range actually has the short story by Mountain.
0: Oh, interesting!
1: And that's actually one of my all-time favorite collections too. So it's funny that these two are featured here. But and I think yeah, and I think that's one of the best collections. One of the, one of the best short story collections. So this was tough competition. But also the book Waiting by uh, Hajin Hajin was uh, it won the National Book Award uh, uh-huh. in 1999. So it's so funny to that like these like three like major works you know.
0: All in the same year, she had stiff competition.
1: Yeah, could you imagine? Like, oh my goodness. But yeah, so I think that's really, I, I just think it's really cool to, to think about because there's some years where it's like, woof.
0: Yeah, I did read this, I guess because we're reading this year in August, but I also am like, why isn't this required reading? This feels like great senior year of high school. I don't know, maybe it is required reading elsewhere, but but sometimes when I read books in the summer, I'm like, why isn't anyone in school reading this?
1: But that's the thing she, you know, it's so funny. Like I completely, I completely think that we should be reading. I I, I do think we should be reading classics because I think that they are, it's exciting to be able to see like the, the journey from there to here. But I actually think, you know, I think all the time about how Toni Morrison was heavily influenced in a lot of ways by William Faulkner. And Mm. I think that if you paired you know something like beloved with something by william Faulkner, and talked about that relationship that to me would be more investing and interesting yes or or, you know or you look at something like to kill a mockingbird and pairing that book you know something like sing and buried sing and discussing the relation you know like how how, not only how we like come or not politically but also story-wise you know
0: well, and I think that I mean that's what I always loved about my great books courses. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what I love about book selling is it's books in conversation with each other. And I think students getting to experience that at the high school level would then be so much better equipped, not only for college because whatever, go to college or don't go to college, but but they'd be so much better equipped. I think for real life relationships and conversations because they've already experienced books in conversation with each other. I don't know. I think it'd be a real. It'd just be so great for students to get to read some of these. And th- and this is short. This this is a short collection.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. I think and I do I don't know. I think it's so funny. I think we talk about like uh we talk about like oh like kids aren't ready for this or that. And I'm like, "Oh no. I mean if if they're reading The Great Gatsby, yeah, they're somebody, ready. like yeah. I'm like a girl gets <laughs> hit by a car in The Great Gatsby, <laughs> so I think they're all right.
0: Yeah, I think they can handle this." Yeah. Well, thank you. This was a delight as always. I am so glad I read this and because it's such a backlist title, I'm not sure I would have read it were it not for you. And every time I told somebody I was reading this, like I did, my copy did not come in to the bookshelf in time, my fault, not the bookshelf staff's fault. Yeah. And so I called Midtown Reader in Tallahassee. They also did not have it. They were super apologetic and they were like, Oh my gosh, you're going to love it. And then I ordered it. I had to go to Barnes and Noble in Tallahassee and get it. But anyway like this is a book that's still on bookshelves like it is still Mm -hmm. and it is still people's favorites like i think i told olivia i was reading it and she was thrilled for me like i think if you have never read this i would encourage you to do so you'll be so glad that you did this week i'm reading lazy city by rachel Connolly. hunter what are you reading
1: i'm reading this other eden by paul harding
0: From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at BookshelfTville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cami Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacey Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings, Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.